0: It's been 3,300 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 381 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess that Russia no longer has the resources to cause catastrophic economic, social, or military disruptions by targeting Ukraine's electrical infrastructure. Second, we maintain that Russia can no longer tap its strategic reserve of caliber cruise missiles and can only launch its monthly production of 25 to 30 missiles. Third, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident due to the de energization of Ukraine's electrical grid as long as the Russian Ministry of Defense continues to target Ukraine's power industry. Fourth, we maintain that the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and are only capable of effective attacks on a small area of the front, such as Bakhmut. Fifth, We maintain that, short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear—those are seaburn—weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut, regardless of cost. Sixth. We maintain that Russia has committed almost all available ground forces to Ukraine and cannot maintain the current level of personnel and equipment losses. Seventh. We maintain that the public infighting between private military company or PMC Wagner Group's leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin, and the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, has reached a dangerous level that threatens to derail the only successful Russian offensive operation since June 2022 in Bakhmut. Eighth, We maintain that the Russian MOD is actively working to eliminate the influence of PMC Wagner Group and Yevgeny Prigozhin, both on and off the battlefield. Ninth, we maintain the Kremlin is actively attempting to topple the legitimate government of Moldova. And finally, we maintain the Kremlin is actively interfering with the Georgian government's attempt to join the European Union. Yesterday in History, on March tenth, two 2022, a Russian tank column in Irpin came under artillery fire, ending the attack. The International Atomic Energy Agency lost all contact with the Chernobyl nuclear power plant, and in Mariupol, Russian troops fired on civilians attempting to evacuate through a previously agreed-upon Green Corridor. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. There were only skirmishes and touches across Luhansk, Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor Serhiy Haidai reported no changes along the front. In the Lysychansk operational area, it is now the 307th day of fighting for control of Milohorivka, the one in Luhansk. Mercenary mill bloggers with War Gonzo wrote that Russian units quote, traditionally tried to attack, and the armed forces of Ukraine traditionally managed to fight back. End quote. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, mercenary millblogger Rybar claimed that Russian troops in Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk, went on the attack. In the Solidar operational area, PMC Wagner renewed attacks in the direction of Zaliznansky without success. In the Bakhmut operational area, Russian forces made significant gains near Yahidne, reaching the outskirts of the industrial area within Bakhmut itself. Northwest of the city, fighting continued for control of orekhovo vasilivka and we pulled the gray area east, away from the village. The general staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported successfully defending the outskirts of Dubovo-Vasilivka, stopping PMC Wagner's western advance. Fighting continued in Bakhmut and was heaviest in the northern part of the city. A Ukrainian soldier reported that PMC Wagner had established a, quote, foothold in the industrial district as he walked through the Azom metal processing plant. PMC Wagner's social media channels reported that fighting had reached the industrial zone, providing a second source to the Ukrainian claim. We could not determine if the Russian advance came from Yakhidne or the direction of Paraskovievka. Due to the absence of information, we used terrain analysis, and based our map update on the assumption the northern Bakhmut Ukrainian salient collapsed. A video showed massive explosions in the Russian-occupied areas near Bakhmut, with the sound of secondary explosions consistent with the destruction of an ammunition depot. As with most of the photos we reference here on the podcast, we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. There have been no changes near Kromova, and no Russian claims that the T-506 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, has been severed. Russian forces only shared the same Ukrainian drone video showing the MiG-17 memorial destroyed, indicating they are not in the area. Fighting near the Mariupol Cemetery along Midu Street and south of Korsunskoho Street continued with no changes to the situation. Before poor weather moved into the area, NASA fire information for resource management systems, or firms, showed Russian and Ukrainian forces were trading artillery strikes across the city. Russian state media started running stories about PMC Wagner and its leader Yevgeny Prigozhin again. The Kremlin-controlled outlets were circulating stories that Ukraine was preparing a massive counteroffensive that would begin next week. The source of that claim is Vladimir Rogov, who is entirely unreliable. The GSAFU reported that troop positions and defenses were being strengthened west of Bakhmut to prevent Russian forces from making deeper advances in the event of a breakthrough. Fighting continued south of Ivanovsky, also with no change in the situation. Some assessment? Russian forces have made a distinct shift in strategy from last week, Efforts to bring Bakhmut into a technical or operational encirclement have ended, with Ukrainian forces able to rotate troops and maintain supply and logistics. BMC Wagner now appears to be attempting to push Ukrainian forces out of the city by shifting attacks from the north, then the south, and back. In our assessment, Russian forces lack the combat power and equipment to create and hold an operational encirclement, and commander of Russian forces in Ukraine Valery Gerasimov knows this. The stories on Russian state media about a looming Ukrainian counteroffensive are likely more about setting conditions in the information space on why Bakhmut hasn't been captured yet. Kostiantynivka was hit by Uragan rockets fired by Russian multiple launch rocket systems or MLRS into residential areas wounding 8 people. A quick note This is your daily reminder that the situation in Bakhmut remains fluid and can change quickly. In southwest Donetsk, fighting continued in the usual places with more or less the same results. In the Avdiivka operational area, the 2nd Army Corps, formerly of the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, continued their attacks on the Krasnohorivka Plateau and Kamyanka, Without success. Russian troops inexplicably continued to attack Avdiivka head on, suffering heavy losses. The 1st Army Corps, formerly of the Donetsk People's Republic or DNR, supported by Mobiks from Orenburg, Russia, continued attacks west of Vodyana along the northern edge of Perevomaisky and north towards Siederny. Russian forces continued sustained attacks on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelsky and, of course, remained unsuccessful. In the Marinka operational area, fighting restarted east of Krasnohorivka in what used to be the center of what used to be Marinka and on the outskirts of the Pobita pig farm. In the Wuhledar operational area, Russian commanders maintained the tradition of launching attacks on Novomikhailivka. Was it successful? It was about as successful as the U.S. men's national team in the 1998 World Cup which is to say no, they were not successful at all. Light fighting continued around Vukhlydar, with no change in the situation there either. A drone video showed Ukrainian UAVs destroying multiple abandoned Russian BMP-1 and BMP-2 Infantry Fighting Vehicles, or IFVs, 200 meters south of the Khram Svyatetelya Monastery in Mikilskø. The video showed abandoned ammunition and trash heaps from the Russian bivouacs, but no ground troops. The video provided additional evidence that Russian troops had been using the residential areas immediately adjacent to the monastery as a firebase. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Moving on to Zaporizhia, where there were no updates on the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Ukrainian officials reported that power had been restored across Zaporizhia after two rounds of missile strikes damaged electrical infrastructure in the city. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported six Black Sea Fleet vessels on patrol, including one frigate capable of launching up to eight caliber cruise missiles. The Border Guard Service of the Russian Federation began to check all ships moving through the approach to the Crimean Bridge. Russian state media agency Flot reported that all vessels, even if they're empty, are subject to searches. The announcement came the day after Turkey suspended the transit of over 10,000 items on the European Union sanction list. In Odessa, engineers had restored power after the March 9th missile strikes. In western and central Ukraine, in Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery strikes across the Dnipro River. Russian forces carried out 71 fire missions, Firing 335 artillery shells, mortars, Grad and Smirch rockets, indirect tank fire, and drone delivered IEDs, killing three and wounding five. The city of Kherson was shelled nine times, targeting the residential areas of Ship and Korobelnaya Square. Fighting over Big Potemkin Island in the Dnipro River is escalating, with Russian and Ukrainian DRG units occupying different regions. Engineers had restored power in the Kurovarad Oblast after Russian cruise missile strikes damaged regional infrastructure. Ukraine has been targeting the watercraft Russian troops stole from September to November, destroying seven vessels with machine guns and reinforced sides using drones and mortars. On the east bank of the Dnipro River, Russian occupied Kholopriston was shelled by Ukrainian forces. In north and northeast Ukraine, in Cherniv, the border village of Leonivka was hit by 42 120-millimeter mortars fired from Russia. There were no injuries or significant damage. In Sumy, the chromadas of Shalachin, Novosloboda, Krasnopilia, Bilopilia, and Miropilia were shelled by grad rockets fired by MLRS, mortars, and 152-millimeter artillery shells. Near Khotin, the Ukrainian Territorial Guard exchanged small arms fire with Russian troops, and another border skirmish was reported in Essman. On the Russian front, the partisan group Freedom of Russia announced that partisans destroyed an Su-27 fighter plane of the 22nd Air Regiment of the Russian Aerospace Forces, based near Vladivostok. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Ukraine is starting to set conditions about the expected spring offensive in the information space. Mikhail Podolyak, advisor to the head of the president's office, said, quote, the Ukrainian counteroffensive will begin in two months, end quote. He added that Ukraine was building its supply of missiles and 155-millimeter-caliber shells. Some assessment... Kiv made similar claims in the weeks and months leading up to the Kharkiv and Kherson counteroffensives. offensives Bedoliak is likely engaged in spreading misinformation meant for an external audience. Spokesman of the Air Force of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, Colonel Yuri Itnath, reported that Russia had not launched missiles or drones from Belarus, including S-300 and S-400 anti-aircraft missiles, quote, for several months and that the launches against the Kiev region have been coming from Russia. Russian state media shared pictures from the 1st Army Corps tank battalion. Unit members report that Ukraine uses commercial octocopter UAVs to drop 82-millimeter mortars on parked tanks at night. The drone operators are targeting the engine compartments and the top of turrets, where the armor is thinnest, disabling russian main battle tanks. The bland and unseasoned potato prince and self-declared dictator of Belarus, Alexander Lukashenko, signed a decree conscripting 220 men under the age of 27 to the officer corps of the Belarusian military and 20 more to the state border guard service. A year after the United States promised to deliver Switchblade 600 Kamikaze drones, a video analyzed by Russian sources, believes that the larger, more powerful, and longer-range drones have entered the theater of war. The two video clips from Ukrainian sources show Russian air defenses being destroyed, likely around mid-February. Russian sources claim the targets were up to 40 kilometers from the line of conflict and expressed concern over the speed and accuracy of the drones. Norway is providing Ukraine with two more NASM's anti-aircraft batteries, One day after a massive missile strike on Ukraine knocked out power in three cities, delayed trains, killed six, and convinced the West to provide more military aid. Finnish Prime Minister Sanna Marin said her nation would consider sending F-18A multi-role fighter planes to Ukraine as the discussion on providing Ukraine with additional military aircraft drags on. Speaking of dragging on, let's talk about the Russian military and mobilization. In Russia, a large-scale campaign is being prepared to hire mercenary forces. Deputy Chairman of the Security Council of the Russian Federation, Dmitry Medvedev, will control the effort to recruit fresh volunteers, with the campaign using Russian military enlistment offices. Medvedev wants to replenish losses and add up to 400,000 contract soldiers. The effort is supposed to be announced in April. The effort is supposed to be announced in April. PMC Wagner leader Prigozhin announced that recruitment centers for PMC Wagner have opened in 42 Russian cities, saying, quote, Despite the colossal resistance of the armed forces of Ukraine, we will move forward. Despite the sticks that are stuck in our wheels at every step, he means by the Kremlin, we will overcome this together, end quote. In response to the growing questions about Prigozhin's political ambitions in Russia, a reporter said there had been flash mobs, graffiti, and social media campaigns supporting the PMC leader. Prigozhin was asked, quote, What do you think needs to be done so that the Ministry of Defense finally pays attention to the mood of society? Because it is already difficult not to notice it, Russia should not lose Wagner. End quote. Prigozhin responded, quote, I am very grateful to those who support us. Of course, I have no desire to split society. I hope that the opinion of millions of Russians will force the near-military bureaucrats to fulfill their duties. End quote. Prigozhin was also asked about ammunition shortages, saying that his units had received some munitions, but the issue was deeper than his conflict with the Russian Ministry of Defense. Quote, we saw them, the ammunition... We saw the word 2023 and were blown away by the fact that ammunition went out in 2023. I am worried about ammunition and shell hunger not only for PMC Wagner but for all units of the Russian army." End quote. In yet another video, Prigozhin suggested that after the capture of Bakhmut, his PMC would change and become a quote, "army with an ideology." End quote. He did not elaborate on the ideology beyond fairness and justice. Russian social media channels shared a video of a Russian soldier who had been seriously wounded earlier in the year. In the video, he shows that his left hand has been almost torn off. When his unit retreated, they left him behind, giving him a sleeping bag and telling him he would need to wait. On another cell phone, Text messages on a dead Mobik's phone showed that unit commanders were taking bribes of 30,000 rubles for soldiers to opt out of attacks. All is definitely going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Oleksandr Tukachenko, Ukraine's Minister of Culture and Information Policy, has said monks and priests from the Ukrainian Orthodox Church of the Moscow Patriarchate must vacate the Kyiv Pechersk Lavra, the Monastery of the Caves in Kyiv, by the end of March. Tukachenko said, quote, This notice is based on the conclusions of the Interagency Working Group, which, during its work, found that the monastery had violated the terms of the agreement on the use of state property. End quote. Yesterday, we talked about a dog in Velika Vilšanitsja, Lviv, who refused to leave the rubble of its wrecked home. Well, the dog's name is Elsa, and she has been removed from the site. She has wounds on her neck, jaw, and paws, and has bleeding in her eyes. She appeared disoriented after the attack and may have a concussion. She currently refuses to eat, but a fundraiser by her foster family has reportedly brought in more than adequate funds for her rehabilitation and care. In geopolitical news, Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan announced that national elections would be held on May 14th as Turkey works to recover from devastating earthquakes that killed more than 46,000 people. In economic news, Canadian officials announced that the North American nation had banned the import of Russian metals, steel, iron, and aluminum, and any products made from those materials. The ruble clung to an exchange rate of 76 for one U.S. dollar. West Texas Intermediate Crude ended the week up, reaching $77 a barrel, and Brent climbed to $83. Russian Urals Crude was unchanged, with an official price of $60 a barrel. United States Wholesale Arbob gasoline declined, with the price on the spot market dropping to $2.65 a gallon, or $0.70 a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas futures spiked on Friday, with April and May contracts climbing to 53 euros per megawatt hour. Chicago SRW Wheat Futures closed the week, climbing to $6.83 a bushel for May 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again on Monday for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.